This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and Katie Balls. So Katie, today was the first Prime Minister's questions since the start of the new parliamentary term. How was that? So you had Keir Starmer going in on crime and I think what's interesting is both Labour and the Tories seem to relish the chance to talk about crime. It's an area where clearly Labour think that uh, they can have the lead on it. And if you look at policy polling, it looks as though that actually reflects where the polls are in terms of which party voters think is the strongest on the issue. Yeah, I think the Tories do think that they've got a lot they can attack Keir Starmer with on crime. So the attack ads last week ultimately suggesting you know, soft sentencing. I don't think Rishi Sunak wants to talk about this text specifically. That That's not his plan. But I think around that, they think that where Keir Starmer has, uh, you know, had a role in terms of sentencing guidelines, if you look at his legal past, they've got a lot they can throw back at Labour. Mm-hmm. And you've got a flavour of that in the sense, although Keir Starmer's going on the offensive, it felt so Rishi Sunak had quite a lot he wanted to throw back. And we also got a new name, which is Sir Softy. Since 2010, since, since, since 2010, crime down by 50% under the Conservative government, Mr Speaker. 20,000 more police officers, we've given them more powers and we've toughened up sentencing, all opposed by Sir Softy over there. And this is uh, the new Tory attack on Keir Starmer because Rishi Sunak said not once, uh, he said it several times. Also brought out the classic lefty lawyer. So I think is Sir Softy... Uh, an effective attack. <laughs> I think it actually comes from the Sun newspapers, so it's not actually a co- complete original from the number 10 attack department. I think the good thing about it is it's very simple. Uh, you had one a while ago, which was Keir Starmer's free movement of principle, which I think <laughs> might make sense because they want to attack and depict Keir Starmer as someone who y- you can't trust what he says because of uh, you know Jeremy Corbyn, because of what he said in the leadership and what he does now. But that one doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Whereas I think this one you can see um, is, is a bit quicker to understand, which normally is a sign of an effective attack. I thought one of the issues the Labour attacks last week was just how much text was on them. Mm. Um, so so it, gets, it gets to that point. I think we uh, we wait to see if um, this is one that has a uh, Labour quivering in their boots. I don't get that sense just yet. <laughs> it's also alliterative, which is uh, good. But, yeah, is that but, good? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's catchy. But it's not very harsh, is it? I mean, compared to the attack ads from Labour side, I mean, is that a deliberate ploy as well to not because Labour got so much flag for that? Well, I think if you are going to have quite dirty attacks, often, though apparently not in the case of Labour last week, you don't get your primary actor, you don't get your leader to say it. You almost um, will have the machinery do it or text and so forth. Obviously, Keir Starmer eventually doubled down on the attacks that were put out, not as a Keir Starmer says, but he wrote a piece for the Daily Mail defending it, which I think at that point he had to do. But I think when it comes to, you know, it depends on personalities. I think the Tories are prepared to fight dirty, but they don't think now is exactly the time mm. to do that. And I think if you're thinking about probably the pace of where they are, I think they're still in the position where they want to get a hearing again from the public, which they don't think they have, before they, they start using all their best lines. 
Now, Kate, one problem for Rishi Sunak coming down the line is inflation, because uh, new figures today show that actually inflation is not going down as fast as people were hoping. So tell us about that. No, not by any means. So we got the March data update today from the Office for National Statistics, which showed that the rate of inflation came down to 10.1% in March, and that's down from 10.4% in February. Of course, between January and February, the rate actually rose slightly from 10.1% to 10.4%. So we've had this little fluctuation. Still in double digits. Uh, The rate of inflation hasn't been below 10% since September last year. So, you know, this is incredibly painful for consumers. You know, everybody's feeling the impact on this. As we learned earlier in the week from the labor market update, real wages are taking one of their biggest hits that we've seen since records began. Wages are just simply not able to keep up with the rate of inflation. Especially food inflation as well. Food inflation was staggering in this update, and it has been in previous updates. It rose to 19% on the year, up from 18% in February. It just keeps going up. And the consensus had been that inflation was going to come down slightly more and that food inflation would calm down as well. And it's just not happening. So we're now seeing a trend where energy prices are coming down and they're coming down quite rapidly. But you're having so many price hikes in other sectors of the economy, particularly around food and domestic services, that it's offsetting those spectacular falls in energy. And this is a, a problem for the government for two reasons. First, obviously, people feel this, as I said, you know, they feel poorer. No government wants to go into another election with people feeling worse off than they were before. But it's also a problem because Rishi Sunak made one of his five pledges at the start of the year to have inflation. Now, the assumption was that inflation would come down quite rapidly, and all of the big forecasters suggested that it would be well under 10% by now, and it's not. And he thought he could basically just ride the coattails of this. Of course, inflation is largely speaking not in the government's control. The best Mm. tools we have for controlling it are interest rates, and that sits with the Bank of England. And so by making this pledge, he and his chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, have been pushing this narrative that the government can control it, in which case it's perfectly legitimate for people to turn around and be like, well, why is it still around 10%? The answer is that the government does not have control over this, but maybe then don't take credit for it. Mm. He still has plenty of time for inflation to fall. We're by no means towards the end of the year yet, but it is proving a much bigger struggle. And the last thing I note is that the core inflation figure, which is really quite key because that excludes things that can fluctuate quite easily like food and energy, that isn't budging either. And that's over 6%. That's triple the bank's target of, of inflation and of headline inflation. And so that all suggests that, you know, this could be a really difficult battle to actually get it down to closer to 2% like they've promised to do by the end of the year. And that's something that, you know, the government suggested they could control and something that's always been out of their control. Kate, that leaves the strikes in a particularly bad position as well then, doesn't it? Because one of the arguments was that you don't need to ask for these sky-high pay increases because inflation, look, is coming down and it's not. This could not have come at a worse time, this update, because as you say, Cindy, the narrative has been we cannot give inflation-based pay raises because the rate is going to come down very quickly. And this new update is coming as the RCN is looking to vote again, ballot their members again, whether or not they're going to strike for another six months leading up to Christmas. And, you know, figures like this may well embolden them. That vote's thought to be quite on the line, just as the decision to reject the government's pay offer was much more split than perhaps some expected. So it's not to say the, the vote will certainly go one way or the other, but this idea that inflation is in our past 
is absolutely not the case. You know, people are still living with with really hefty price hikes. Katie, speaking of those five pledges from January this year, um, how is Rishi Sunak doing on those? Because it does seem like on the small boats crisis, it's not necessarily a huge amount of progress being made. Yeah, I mean, I think to be fair, few people thought these things would be solved in the space of a couple of months. You know, these are... I think it's where by the summer, but really by the end of the year, I think in an ideal world, number 10 would like to say, look, we've made all this progress. And then you get to a point near an election where you can say, and here are some more pledges, more ambitious ones, and we have earned the right to be heard. And I think that's the thinking behind it. Therefore, yes, I think they are coming into problems. And I think Kate's point's a really good one, which is if you have Jeremy Hunt doing videos, moving cups around, <laughs> and talking about how he's going to stop inflation, what the government's doing... It really is a hostage to fortune, but it's also a dishonest hostage to fortune because the truth is the largest factors here are outside the government's control in terms of bringing inflation down. Now, there are clearly some things you can do to make it worse, but I think if the government wants to claim it's all their plan, it means that, yes, they might get lucky and there's still some way to go when you look at these forecasts, expectation that it will fall, but they might be able to take credit for something they haven't had too big a role in. Or um, if it does go much slower than planned, well, then people say, well, you said you would do this. And they're in a situation where they're being blamed for something which they can't really do that much about <laughs> because they've said they can do much about it. So, so I think that's one of the risks or one of the priorities. I think on boats, you have a situation where look, there's lots of different levers being pulled. We'll have new figures soon. You have the legal migration bill coming back to the Commons next week. I think that would be interesting in the sense uh, you've had number 10 speaking to various Tory MPs this week trying to say, don't add all these, you know, amendments that's be united behind it. So I think that will give us a taste of where it's going. But I think the key events, you know, we're waiting to see what happens with the High Court appeal on uh, the ruling that it was a lawful scheme Rwanda. If the appeal is unsuccessful and it, it remains as lawful, can you get a flight going? I think these are the big indicators we're looking at. Whereas I think the figures you get in a few weeks, perhaps they'll show success in terms of the Albania front Mm. but there's still a long way to go and lots of the things they're doing and also one of the things is just if you can move um, some asylum seekers from hotels to new bases which is another thing they're looking at that would probably calm some MPs obviously not the MPs with bases in their constituencies but things like that so there's so many multi-parts to it and then going back to strikes clearly is a big problem that strikes are not over when it comes to the NHS waiting list priority. And just on small boats there's new figures out today from the Home Office that says that just 13% of asylum claims uh, have been dealt with since 2018, which is a crazily low number. And Kate, finally, I want to talk to you about the Confederation of Business Industry, the CBI, which has been embroiled in this sexual harassment scandal or two really, one to do with a summer party in 2019, where some very serious allegations have been made about what happened there. And the other over is now former boss Tony Danker. And Tony Danker today has hit back after he was essentially relieved of duties. What's he said? As you say, Cindy, the CBI has been riddled with scandal for some time now. And a few weeks ago, their now former boss, Tony Denker, was suspended over allegations directed at him personally. At the time, the assumption was that there was going to be a full investigation and that Danker would have the opportunity to respond to the allegations against him. Uh, We then discovered that Tony Danker was let go by the CBI and he put out a series of tweets suggesting that he did not know that was coming and he had not had his opportunity to give his side of things, to give his defense. That could have been the end of the story, but Danker has decided that it's not going to be. And he spoke to Radio 4 this morning about his experience. Here's what he had to say. Well, look, first, Simon... I want to apologize to anybody at the CBI that I upset, that I made uncomfortable. Uh, That's on me. That's on me. And 
It was not misconduct. It was not all the terrible things that have since emerged. But I made them very uncomfortable. And that is on me, and I apologize for that. But I have had a week of coverage saying, Tony Danker sacked in rape scandal. And these stories have been about rape and sexual assault and cocaine and bullying. None of that was anything to do with me. And it was all before my time. And so the first thing that's happened is my reputation has been totally destroyed. And look, you know, I've been around the block. and I know the way the world works. But it's so clear. I've been made the fall guy. Not that they just throw me under the bus. They reversed the bus back over me. It's quite an interesting interview that Denker's given because on the one hand, he is apologizing for his behavior and admitting that some of that wasn't always to the standard that we would hold a, a boss to. A, on the other hand, he's suggesting he's the fall guy, that he has been muddled up with much more severe accusations and that he doesn't recognize all the accusations against him. He's flagging certain things that perhaps if we were just to hear the headline, we wouldn't consider sexual harassment. For example, asking people to breakfast or lunch, asking colleagues out one-on-one during the day, during work time. But of course, the CBI has responded by saying, well, look, if you think you've been treated unfairly, you have the opportunity to sue. And Tony Denker has suggested he's not going to sue. So the truth is that we don't know the full details. We haven't read all the accusations against him. We're only hearing what's trickling out from Tony Denker, from the CBI at different points. For me, this is such an important reminder that almost regardless of circumstance and regardless of position, there has to be an opportunity for people to come back and give their account of things. Because I think the problem for the CBI now is that Tony Danker clearly does not agree with the way he was dismissed, and he's bringing even more attention to a lot of the scandal around the CBI that they were desperate to avoid and seems to be one of the reasons that he was so quickly terminated. And, you know, that's a that's a difficult position for everybody involved, for the accused, um, for those who, you know, feel like they're the victim in the situation. There has to be a fairly transparent way for everybody to put their point of view across and then for action to be taken. And I think the, the quite fast-paced way in which the CBI tried to put this behind them is now blowing up in real time on the radio. And and that's a really difficult position for the Confederation of Business Industry to be in, not least because this is a really difficult time for British business. Mm. And there's been a lot of speculation about the relevance of the CBI. And if it can't get past its own scandal, how on earth is it going to advocate for business? Well, not least because the government won't talk to it while the scandal is going on. And the police are now involved investigating that summer party. Kate and Katie, thank you so much. And thank you very much for listening at home.